0: This morning we're going to continue exploring the first few chapters of Genesis. Last week we looked together at the closing verses of Genesis chapter 1 about God creating human beings in his image specifically as male and female. Next week Dave's going to be speaking to us. Is that right? Have you remembered Dave? (laughs) Yeah. Dave is going to be sharing a word that the Lord puts on his heart. I'm not entirely sure what it is, but I know that God will speak to us through him. I'm actually away next week. I'm going to be preaching at Shekinah Church next week. So uh, me and the family will be there next week. So please do remember us in prayer as we minister there. But Dave's going to be speaking. Um, and this week I just want to take us into the closing verses of Genesis chapter 2. And I have to say this morning... Um, that I come with fear and trembling. I come to this word with fear and trembling. I always come to the scriptures with fear and trembling. Because I don't want to be someone who misrepresents God or who says something that God never intended for me to say or for his word to say. So I come with fear and trembling. But today I come because... The things we're going to be speaking about today and the thoughts that I'm going to share with you today, they are weighty and to be honest, too wonderful for me to wrap my mind around. Too profound for me to ever truly explain in a way that does justice to what God is showing us. I'm going to be speaking, sharing with you this morning about God's design for marriage. And I want to say from the outset, God's design for marriage is far more wonderful, far more profound, far more glorious than any of us could wrap our minds around and the words that I speak this morning will not even come close to declaring the true beauty and power of God's design for marriage so I feel like a beggar with a piece of bread this morning but you know what Jesus can do with pieces of bread, right? He can take a feeble offering and turn it into something that feeds and satisfies a multitude. And so as I bring a little piece of bread this morning, I want to pray that Jesus would use it. And pour his anointing upon it and penetrate our hearts with the beauty of his word. So can we pray? Can we pray? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the revelation of yourself that you have given to us in the pages of Scripture. We thank you. And at the same time, Lord, we confess that we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of your beauty, your wisdom your greatness, your power, and your majesty. We confess that our finite minds are not big enough to grasp your infinite truth. And left to our own devices, we would have no hope of ever being able to understand or be changed by what you have said, Lord. And so we ask, for the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit here this morning to help us to understand what you have revealed we ask Lord that your Spirit would come and lead us into all truth this morning and I pray Lord that as I seek to teach Lord that you would enable me by your Spirit to teach and to proclaim these things with clarity with integrity with humility, and with conviction. And I want to pray for every heart and every mind in this room right now. Lord, that somehow, by the supernatural power of your Spirit, you would penetrate our hearts with the beauty of your truth this morning. And I pray this in and through and for the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. In Genesis chapter 2, we... Read about the first ever wedding day. That's what Genesis chapter 2 describes to us. The first ever wedding day. Tim helped us wonderfully last week as he spoke to us about the fact that God made human beings in his image as male and female. Today, what we want to reflect on is the fact that God took those male, or that male and that female, and he brought them together as husband and wife. And so in Genesis chapter 2, we see the first wedding day in history, the first marriage in history. And this is how the writer of Genesis describes it. Genesis 2 verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper, fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. There was no church, no wedding bells, no vicar, no organ, no confetti, No band. But this, friends, was the first wedding day in history. And this is where the institution of marriage that has permeated every culture and every generation since the beginning of time, this is where the institution of marriage was born. And this is where we are given... God's definition of what marriage is. Verse 24 says, A man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is what it means to be married according to the God who created marriage. For most people... In most cultures, at most times of history, the primary relationship that an individual had from the moment they were born was the relationship that they shared with their parents. From the moment you were born, for most people, the relationship you have with your parents is the primary relationship in your life. It's true in most cultures, even today. Perhaps not as true as it could be or even should be. But for most of human history, the relationship a child shares with their parents is the foundational relationship in an individual's life. Everything about your life is oriented around your relationship with your parents. It's still true today, but it was especially true when Genesis was written. The family unit really was the heartbeat of life and society. And so for any individual, the relationship between them and their parents was the primary and the foundational relationship that you shared. But when an individual gets married to another, according to God, all of that needs to change. Up until you get married, your primary relationship, your primary commitment, your primary loyalty is towards your parents. Once you get married, that commitment, that love, and that loyalty that was focused on your parents, according to God, now has to be redirected to your husband or your wife. It doesn't mean that once you get married, your parents unimportant or irrelevant but what it does mean according to God is that your relationship with your new spouse becomes more important than any other relationship that you might have and enjoy that's what it means to be married is that the one you get married to becomes the most important person in your life and your love and your loyalty, and your commitment, and your energy, and your investment is all directed towards that person. That's what God says marriage should be. And verse 24 also says that when somebody gets married to a spouse, they need to hold fast to one another. Did you catch that? A man will leave his mother and father and hold fast. To his wife, to hold fast to someone means you commit yourself to loving them, to being faithful to them, to caring for them, to being loyal to them forever. That's what it means to hold fast to someone. You come into an agreement with them and you say, I I'm going to love you and be faithful to you above all others forever. An unbreakable commitment. The biblical word for it is covenant. Is covenant. And it's what we see marriage defined as in Genesis chapter two. Now you've all been to weddings, numerous weddings, right? And you will know that when a man and his wife or a husband and his wife stand at the front of the church, in front of the minister of God, and in front of all their friends and family, they will make promises to one another. They stand opposite one another and they say to one another things like this. I take you to be my wife or my husband. To have and to hold From this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death us do part, according to God's holy law. In the presence of God, I make this vow. You've all heard those vows being made. Many of us have made those vows ourselves. And the reason we do that, even today, is because what God did in Genesis chapter 2. See, Genesis, when you get married, you choose to hold fast to your partner. You make an unbreakable agreement with them that you will stick with them for as long as you live. This is what it means to be married. This is what the definition of marriage is. And the reason I say that with confidence this morning Is because that's what Jesus believed marriage was as well. You know, in Matthew chapter 19, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus gets into a discussion with some Pharisees about the issue of marriage and divorce. And it's really interesting to look at the way Jesus engages in that discussion. Let's read it together Matthew chapter 19. Pharisees came to him and tested Jesus by saying, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So, Jesus says, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Really interesting little dialogue that Jesus engages in here. Some Pharisees come to him, and they essentially ask Jesus if it's ever okay for a person, to, for a man even, to divorce his wife? Is it ever okay, Jesus, for a man to divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever? And Jesus' response is fascinating because I reckon the Pharisees expected Jesus to point back to one of the laws in the first five books of the Bible. There are a couple of lists of laws in the first five books of the Bible, that specifically deal with the issue of marriage and divorce. And so I expect that when the Pharisees asked this question of Jesus, is it okay for a man to ever get divorced? I expect that they were thinking he would point them to one of those laws, but Jesus doesn't. Jesus points them instead to Genesis 2. And he says, haven't you read the way God created the world And the way God created marriage. Haven't you read that story? In other words, Jesus says to the Pharisees, remember when God created the world. Remember the way he made it. He fashioned it. He formed it. He ordered it. Remember the way that he made everything that we see and everything that we look at. Remember the way that he made all things, including marriage. And do you remember way back at the beginning, when God made everything, he declared it as good. In fact, God declared what he had made as very good. And so Jesus says, do you remember that? Do you remember Genesis chapter 2 when God created marriage and it was good? And so essentially Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, he's saying, you are asking the wrong question, boys. Because the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, is it ever okay For a man to separate from his wife. Jesus responds by pointing to Genesis 2. In other words, Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking me, is it okay? But the better question to ask, friends, is, is it good? Is it good? Is it good? Not, is it okay? Am I allowed? But is it good? You know, I think there's a lesson for us here. I think far too often as Christians, when it comes to issues of morality and behavior and how we live, I think far too often we approach those issues as Christians with the mentality of the Pharisees. And we come to God and we come to his word and we say, is it okay? Is it okay? Is it okay as a Christian if I sleep with whoever I want, whenever I want? Is that okay? Am I allowed? Is it okay as a Christian for me to marry whoever I want, whenever I want? Is that okay? Is it allowed? Is it okay for me as a Christian to spend my money however I want, whenever I want, on whatever I want? Is that okay? Am I allowed? Is it okay for me as a Christian to watch whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, with whoever I want? Is that okay? Am I allowed as a Christian? Is that okay? It's the wrong question, friends. The question we should be asking as followers of Jesus is not is it okay, but is it good? Is it good? Is it good? for me to sleep with whoever I want, whenever I want? Is it good for me to marry whoever I want, however I want, whenever I want? Is it good for me to do whatever I want with the money that I have? Is it good? Not am I allowed, but is it good? So easy for us to approach questions of life and behavior and morality with the mentality of the Pharisees. Am I allowed? Is there a loophole anywhere? Am I allowed? And it's really interesting. We won't read on, but if you read on in Jesus' discussion in Matthew chapter 19, it's really interesting because Jesus does in fact go on to say that there are some circumstances when it's right and okay for a couple to get divorced, right? Right? He goes on to say that. He says there are times when it is okay, when it is allowed, when it is right. But then he also goes on to say, but that was never the way that God intended for it to be. It was never the way that God intended it for to be. In other words, Jesus says there are some times... And something can be right, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. But Jesus says, he says, there are occasions when it's right for a married couple to separate. But that was never the way God intended marriage to operate. Now, I want to be careful this morning, and I want to be super, super sensitive this morning. Because I'm really aware that many of us in this room, many of us in this room, have lives that have been directly or indirectly impacted by separation, by marriages breaking down and falling apart. And friends, believe me, it is not my heart at all to point any sort of finger of judgment or to heap any condemnation upon Anybody this morning, right? That is not what I'm here to do and it's not what I want to do. And I know that the separation and the breakdown of a marriage is a deeply painful experience for those that have to go through it. I do know that. And I actually do believe, right, that there are times when divorce and separation is the only option. And I do believe that sometimes divorce and separation is the right option, right? So I'm not here to point fingers of judgment. I'm not here to heap condemnation. At all. But as I read Genesis chapter two, what I see is that God's original design for marriage from the beginning was that a man and a woman, a husband and wife should come together and hold fast to one another in an unbreakable covenant of love, loyalty and faithfulness. And when that does not happen, it is not good. It is not good. Now, listen. I, again, I want to be sensitive, right? I want to be sensitive this morning. And if anything I'm saying is beginning to weigh any of you down or offend or make anyone feel ashamed or guilty this morning, please come and talk to me, right? Because that is not my heart. My heart is to say, look at what God did in the beginning. Look at how God created and designed marriage. One man, one woman, unbreakable covenant of love, faithfulness, and commitment forever. And when that does not happen, it is not good. doesn't mean it's always wrong. But it is not good. And the reason it's not good is, firstly, because it causes a lot of pain, right? It causes a lot of pain and damage to a lot of people, for sure. Right? But the other reason why it's not good, when covenants are broken and marriages fall apart, the other reason it's not good is because when that happens, it actually distorts the picture that marriage was always intended to be. And this is where I want to end this morning. I want you to know that marriage, friends, is not ultimately about us. Marriage was made for us Marriage was given to us as a gift, but it was never ultimately about us. My marriage is not about me, ultimately. My marriage is not about Emily, ultimately. Our marriage is not about our family, ultimately. Our marriage and every marriage... Is supposed to point away from itself to a much more glorious marriage. That's the purpose of marriage. To point away from itself to a much greater marriage. Now, in a book in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote, Book of Ephesians, in chapter five of that book, Paul Um, he writes a section about marriage and we won't read the whole section but towards the end of that section Paul just like Jesus when attempting to describe and define what marriage is Paul also quotes from Genesis chapter 2 listen to this Ephesians chapter 5 therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now listen to this. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. It's interesting, isn't it? Paul points back to Genesis chapter 2 to describe and to define marriage. But he follows that up by saying marriage was always about Jesus and the church. It was always about Jesus and the church and so Paul points back to Genesis chapter 2 and he says do you remember that when God invented marriage do you remember when God created marriage and gave it a gift gave it as a gift to humankind do you remember that Paul says do you remember how God said that marriage happened when a man decided to leave his parents and enter into an unbreakable covenant with his wife. Do you remember that in Genesis 2, Paul says? Well, that was about Jesus, Paul said. It was always about Jesus. Because do you remember Jesus? Do you remember the man, Jesus? Do you remember the man, Jesus, who left his father in the glory of heaven in order to purchase for himself A bride? Do you remember that? Jesus? Do you remember how he left his father and came to purchase for himself a bride? And do you remember how the man Jesus entered into an unbreakable agreement of love and faithfulness with his bride, the church? Do you remember that? Do you remember that moment when Jesus sat around a table with his disciples? And do you remember on that occasion when he picked up some bread and he broke it and he said to his disciples, this is my body and it's given to you. And do you remember how after Jesus picked up the bread, broke it and gave it to his disciples, he also picked up a cup? And he poured some wine into it. And he said, this is the blood of my covenant. Of my covenant with you. And it's poured out for you. Do you remember that first communion meal? Do you remember that? With Jesus and his disciples? Any of you know that that communion was meal was a bit like a wedding ceremony. You know that? That the communion meal that we share over and over again, the first communion meal was a bit like a wedding ceremony Jesus sitting at the table with with his disciples the 11 that were there with him at the time and also with the succeeding disciples of every generation and culture and nation and tribe and tongue Jesus sitting with them and entering into an unbreakable covenant with them did you ever think that the first communion meal was like a wedding ceremony Jesus as he broke the bread and poured the cup this is what Jesus Jesus was saying to his disciples and is saying to you and I this morning, this is my body and I give you this bread and I give you this wine as a sign of our marriage. With my body, Jesus says, I honor you and all that I am, I give to you and all that I have, I share with you. Within the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did you know that every time we partake of the bread and the wine, we should hear the voice of Jesus saying, I give you these things as a sign of our marriage. All that I have, I give to you. Everything I am, I share with you. That's what Jesus did. In the communion meal. And the very next day he climbed upon a cross and demonstrated that they weren't just empty words. Jesus did, in fact, give all of himself to his bride, the church. He gave all of himself to you and I, the church. And every time we partake of communion, we hear those promises spoken over and over again. And do you know what our job is when we partake of communion? It's to speak those words back to him. And we say, Jesus, with my body I honor you. All that I am I give to you. And everything I have I share with you. And do you know what the stunning, utterly unimaginably beautiful reality of that is, is that when we come to the communion table and we offer ourselves to him what are we really offering? All that I am I give to you All that I have I mean what am I? All that I have, I share with you. I mean, what have I got to share with Jesus? Not much. Actually, I'll tell you what I have got. I've got some brokenness, I've got some weakness, I've got some sin, I've got some failures. Got some jealousy. I've got some anxiety. I've got some greed. I've got some anger. Got some impatience. Got some selfishness. I've got. I can share that with you. In fact, I can give that to you, Jesus. And do you know what, King Jesus says? He says, "I'll take it. I'll take it." And he says, "And everything I have, I'm going to give it to you." And what does Jesus have? Glory, honor, beauty, joy, peace, abundance, perfection, obedience, righteousness. That's what Jesus has. And he says, all that I am, I give to you. This is beauty of communion. We come to him and we give him our junk. And he gives us his beauty. We give him our sin. And he gives us his perfection. We give him our brokenness. And he gives us his wholeness. And every single human marriage in the history of the world was designed to point to that story. Every marriage in human history was designed to point to that story. That's what Paul says. He says, I'm saying this reverse to Jesus and the church. The reason marriage was invented was to tell the story of salvation. It was to be a window into the beauty of Christ purchasing, dying for, giving himself for his bride. That's what marriage is supposed to point to. And the reason it's not good when marriages break down and fall apart is because it makes that story a little less clear. It makes the beauty of Jesus and the faithfulness of Christ a little less clear for the world to see. Marriage is a profound institution and its purpose is to point us to the story of salvation you know jesus has bound himself to the church with an unbreakable covenant of love and commitment and you know friends no matter how ugly or broken or weak his bride may look no matter how flawed or unfaithful she may be at times jesus will hold her fast he will hold her fast and never let her go doesn't matter what condition she may be in we know the church is not perfect it can be a pretty ugly thing at times but jesus has bound himself to the church his bride and he will hold her fast And never let her go. And one day, one day, friends, the church, the bride of Christ, will become all that it was designed to be. Listen to this in Revelation chapter 19. This is a vision that Jesus gave to the Apostle John about the end of time when the heavens and earth come together and history is brought to its conclusion. This is what will happen. I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. There will be a day when the church will finally shake itself free from all its brokenness and ugliness and pollution. There will be a day when the church will finally become all that God always intended it to be. Bright and pure and spotless and blameless. There will be a day when we, friends, as part of the bride of Christ, will be all that we were always intended to be. And Every human marriage is supposed to point to this story. Every human marriage. And that's why when things break down and fall apart, and of course, you know, of course, there are times when that happens, and God's grace is sufficient, and he can redeem and restore and use and turn for good any amount of brokenness that we walk through. But when marriages break down, it's not good because it makes this story less clear. Less clear. And so, what I'd love to do with us as we close our time together this morning is I would love us to share communion together. And I would love, as we share communion together, for you to hear the words of Jesus whispered again to you. This is my body and this is my blood given for you all that i am i give to you all that i have i share with you